What's up? I'm Amanda Costco, and you're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today we're following a little bit of a different format than usual because today's episode is a recording from a panel I recently moderated focused on augmented reality for retail. Now, regular listeners of the Electric Runway podcast and subscribers to our YouTube channel will know that we've definitely touched on AR for retail and its implications for the fashion industry before. So today we're going to be continuing this conversation with a few industry experts adding their voices. So this panel took place last week at Startwell, a co-working and meeting space on King Street West in Toronto. It was a part of a meetup group called AWE, that's All Night TO. For those who don't know, Augmented World Expo is the largest conference in North America for those involved in augmented reality, and their satellite events take place throughout the year and throughout the world. On ITO is a free meetup that regularly features presentations from thought leaders, panel discussions, and demos from those innovating in the mixed reality space. If you're interested in learning about the meetup or about Augmented World Expo, we'll put links and more information on the blog post for this episode, which is available at electricrunway.com. That's also where you'll find all past and future episodes of the show. Just click on podcast. Just a note to our audience, this episode does contain some explicit language, and this conversation has been edited for brevity. In this panel discussion, you'll hear from me as I moderate a conversation on augmented reality for retail, featuring Charles Byrne, the CEO of Patio Interactive, a technology-driven design and marketing agency. You'll also hear from Farina Contractor, head of Walmart Innovation Community, and Matt McPherson, the COO of Quantum Capture. Quantum Capture is a company that uses AR to bring artificial intelligence to life with virtual human avatars capable of two-way conversations and dynamic body gestures. It's a fascinating conversation, and it starts right now. Welcome. My name is Amanda Costco from Electric Runway. I am a journalist and entrepreneur focused on the intersection of fashion and technology, and I created a little bingo game for our panel tonight. So on your seats, or if you were lucky enough to receive a bingo card from me when you walked in, those are kind of the AR and retail buzzwords, and so if you hear us say one of those buzzwords, use something to mark the word, and the first person to get a line is going to get a prize. And then the next person to get, I think, a box around the outside will get a prize. So for prizes tonight, I have two wearable tech items. So this is just to keep everything, you know, spicy and interesting. Why is Walmart a buzzword? Because you're going to say it. Because we know you're going to say it. Done. So before I get my panelists here to introduce themselves, I'll just say, you know, we've seen augmented reality being used in fun and games and in filters for popular apps like Snapchat and Instagram, but what is its role in retail? That's what we're here to talk about today. So if we could start with Charlie, I'll just get you to introduce yourself and explain your kind of professional role in augmented reality and retail. Uh, so my name is Charlie Byrne. I'm founder of Patio Interactive. We've been doing augmented virtual reality for about four years now. Before this, I was in digital and e-commerce and in retail strategy. 
So it blends nicely into what we're doing now. And now we're working with companies, business solution-focused work for helping to figure out how XR, AR, VR actually fits and makes sense with their business. And you've done work with cannabis companies and Boston Pizza, lots of different types of retail activations here in Toronto, right? Awesome. And Farina. Hi, everyone. I'm Farina Contractor. I lead tech implementation for Walmart in Canada, and I head up the Walmart innovation community. Hey, everyone. I'm Matt McPherson. I'm the COO at Quantum Capture. We make virtual humans. The main product we have is called Control Human, and what it does is it basically embodies the conversational AI systems that we're starting to get used to. So think of Alexa or a Siri conversation, but with a real-time, fully animated body and head attached to that so that you can actually have some sort of presence. So in the retail world, as we'll get into it, we sort of see this as support, virtual sales associates, virtual Walmart greeter, that type of uh, application. And we're uh, just piloting it right now, actually, in Denmark at a uh, automotive dealership uh, through a partner over there as well. Because, you know, who likes talking to car salesmen? Nobody. But if the car salesman doesn't have a a commission attached to it, people will be uh, a little bit more comfortable. It sounds scary, and it is, right? It's Absolutely. the brave new world. Okay, so this is for this is an open question. Let's talk about AR and retail. Where does it make sense? Where does it not make sense? Because we've seen a lot of gimmicks over the years, so I'd love to hear your opinion on that. So when we are looking at different innovations within Walmart, we tend to be more problem-focused. So there's, especially in the tech community, we sort of over-engineer. And we try and just build out these exhaustive solutions where it doesn't really need to be that way. So and like tech for tech's sake sort exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so the way that we look at evaluating different solutions is we'll say, okay, what's the problem? What's the impact of the problem? What's the multiple alternatives? And why is this one the best solution to solve that problem? And so when you're looking at AR, specifically, some of the use cases that we've seen that's adding value to customers would be, let's say, wayfinding is one of the obvious ones that comes up. But there are alternatives that are much cheaper. You can just walk up to an associate and say, hey, where's this product? Or if you're shopping there, especially with Walmart, with your weekly shop, you kind of already have this in the back of your mind or the way that you design the store where if you've been to one of our uh, renovated stores, no matter where you are in the store, you can see different sections and see signage. Uh, So in that case, you really need AR for wayfinding. One use case that I haven't really seen, but I would love to see, so if you're looking for problems, come talk to me. Like I was saying, one of the use cases we'd love to see is, let's say there's this big health trend, everyone's looking at calories, looking at products and saying, okay, like, is it gluten-free? Is it vegan? Is it organic? So as a consumer, if everything kind of on the shelves was lit up based on some filters that I added, that's legitimate value that will get me to pull out my phone and take three extra steps. In retail, you're focused on either like a seamless customer experience. So you need to make sure that if you are getting the customer to do three, four extra steps, that the value that you're providing is just as high. So that's just one on the customer experience side, but there's tons on the back end side with like picking and logistics, for example. Yeah. And we'll get into the back end of the retail experience as well in a little bit, but I'd love to hear from from Charlie. Yeah. uh, There's a lot of AR for AR's sake. People over-engineer, so it's painkillers, not vitamins. Thank you, Ruji, our interaction designer. She taught me that. So the AR experience you're creating should be a painkiller, not a vitamin. Yeah, 
I know Fair enough. The, the questions you ask are like, well, when is retail? Like retail is, is tied with marketing and marketing is fluff, except for when it comes to AR. Sorry, it's just like, you know, you, you have different mandates, right? Mm -hmm. But but at the end of the day, if, if it's going to be lasting, it's going to have more than just something cool that you play with once and then you delete from your phone or you mm -hmm. don't even download in the first place. We've had that experience. I had that experience with the Zara AR app. It was just not interesting. So just so we can get a sense from the audience, how many people here are from retail? Show of hands. Okay, anybody here from, I, I'm assuming there's a lot of AR people here. Any developers or marketers, people who are working in AR? Very cool. To figure out where the rest of you are from. Well, we know that there's a big group from Holland as well, so wel welcome. <laughs> Matt, did you want to add to that? No, I mean, I, I would just echo that marketing dollars are, are always fickle. There's always value when there's something kind of new and shiny. And, you know, all, all clients, anyone who's sort of doing marketing kind of likes that shiny new thing. But yeah, you know, you might sort of download it, use it once, put it away. It's those lasting use cases, uh, those things that are really adding value, not just to the customer journey, but maybe to the kind of usefulness. You think of the uh, IKEA app. I'm sure a few people have used that, the IKEA Place, where you can actually visualize these things in the home that are going to enhance that retail experience. A Sherman Williams paint selector app as well. These are things that aren't really just about marketing. These are things that are probably driving sales for those. For and those solving customers. a big pain point. And solving pain so point. do you think that with the invention of Facebook Spark AR and AR Kit, it's removing that friction? Are we going to start to see more augmented reality experiences because of the tools that are now embedded into Snapchat, embedded into the Facebook camera? Yeah, I, I think I sort of look at those enabling tools in, in two categories. There's the creator tools, ones that are sort of enabling technologies for the creators and the developers. And then also the, the deployment enablers as well that push it out to a wider wider audience. Just think about the development of you know ARKit, ARCore, completely revolutionized the developer community into not sort of creating their own standalone apps, being able to create you know apps that they could push out push out their products a little bit more universally. I I I, I did want to put in one thing I think is going to be the biggest enabler, and uh, Isaac had it up there on on the screen is what was called Mirror World from the Kevin Kelly Wired article, which is really just talking about the AR cloud. And when the AR cloud comes and we do have everything completely mirrored, like this place can have a universal device agnostic, you know, every, every object, every place that's at least fixed is based on a, a digital twin of, of the real world. Then that for me will be uh, a, a bigger enabling technology than AR Core AR Kit. How do we get there, though, when we're still struggling with 5G internet, for example? How do we get to this cloud where AR can live? I mean, I, I think right now it's the mad, the mad rush, right? Like, I think Google would like to create it. I think Samsung would like to create it. I know Matt Miesnick, 6860i, is working on it as well. Ari, uh, I should mention Tom, buzzword bingo, Tom, Tom <laughs> Emmerich, uh, one, of, one of his partners, the um, founder of Super Ventures, sponsoring everything tonight heading up the uh, OpenAR, I think it's called OpenAR Cloud as well, which would, uh, essentially we need that connective tissue. I, I like to think of it like the web or the internet was kind of kicking around for a while. Nobody knew what to do with it until we had search engines. And search engines kind of gave that, that structure. And I don't know if necessarily a search engine is the best analogy to the AR Cloud. It might be more something along the lines of maybe the TCP IP is what we need, that sort of framework or platform that will enable across devices and across users to be able to have common resources or sort of like uniform form resource uh, identifier kind of framework. Very interesting. Did you want to add to that, Charlie? Just on that note, if you can bring AR into the web framework, I think 
because people are already there. That's where you can then see it. And Miller Lite just did an okay web-based AR. And I think if, if we can draw in with the user base from the web for AR, that would be a big unifier already. Very cool. So a little ways away, but we're getting there. Okay, so let's talk about smart mirrors. I love smart mirrors. <laughs> I think they're the coolest thing. Why are they so hot right now, and how can we expect to see them roll out in the future? I don't think that they're the hottest thing. Um, <laughs> I like it. Um, so, sorry to be a buzzkill, but this is one of those cases where, yes, maybe in the store it makes sense, in certain stores it would make sense to roll it out, but we chatted about this with, was it Samsung that's building one for your home? Not Samsung. LG. LG, and thank one you. Of the companies, yes. <laughs> one of the tech companies is building smart mirrors that you can have in your home. Like, What's the purpose of that? My mirror costs 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. Smart mirror is going to cost a ton more. I have a phone that I can use and use all the time. It's basically an extension of my body. Why would I need to go and get this like additional piece of equipment in my home where I can just have an application that will provide me a similar experience? What about for retail then? Forget the home. It would depend on what type of retail. With Walmart, I don't think that it would make sense necessarily. We are seeing a lot of customers uh, going online, and we want to push them in that direction. If they're already going, we want to accelerate that. And with a lot of these AR... I'm going to use one of the buzzwords. Hold on. Try Does anyone you... have a line yet? Almost. I did. Oh! <laughs> You're welcome. All right. We have a hands-free Bluetooth Here. beanie. Cheers. We want to pass that. All right. So you were saying? Yeah. So I was saying that if the trend is shop online and you want to try before you buy, you're probably going to do it in your home. You're not going to the store. So I'm not fully sold on that. And the experiences are not amazing yet. There are some technologies. There's a company in Toronto. I can't remember the name, but they'll take a whole body scan. And I think getting your like true fit and an image of what you are and then having some technology that matches that with the clothing is probably an easier way plus having it in your home in front of a mirror saying okay based on my dimensions that you've picked up for me how does that fit versus having smart mirrors in the stores necessarily yeah matt what do you think about that because you're working on 3d body scanning right yeah i mean just one one note on the the smart mirrors i think why that works for some brick and mortar retailers. Um, but <laughs> what'd you get? A full? I got a diagonal. A diet. Okay, we're going for a square now. Sorry, <laughs> we already did the line. I should have clarified. We're now going for all around the outside. I know, I know. Sorry. But as part of that, ch- I mean, anytime you can align with existing consumer behaviors, where people go and are looking in mirrors to see how their stuff looks on them anyway, you can see how you're not really changing the way that people have to, they don't have to kind of go download an app, you know, get scanned, fit themselves, that kind of thing. They go to stores anyway, and they look in mirrors all the time. So it kind of makes, you know, some intuitive sense, I think, for some of these brick-and-mortar retailers, particularly where you're buying things for the body, you know, eyewear, beauty, jewelry, and and clothing, and apparel, accessories. I haven't, to be honest, actually done one. I've seen lots of stories on them. I know that top shops got a lot of buzz. And sometimes, I mean, if you think about it, it really is the, it's the same 
a smart mirror, your phone is a smart mirror. Right, yeah, right? your live and, video is a smart mirror. And so I think the main difference in the hardware there is that it's, it's the form factor, right? Like your phone's really small, so you don't really get a sense. But when you go into a smart mirror, which is essentially just, you know, a big screen, you're getting your life size, you're getting yourself actually in, in real size, which, which adds some value. Yeah, and I'm wondering how long is it until the filters that we're seeing on Instagram and Snapchat are actually shoppable. Instagram just announced this week that their feeds are going to be shoppable, so how long until the effects? Yeah, I want to buy that <laughs> rainbow barf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sunglasses and things yeah. like that. No, yeah. And there's a try before you buy augmented reality experience downstairs if you want to check it out after. Cool. Did you want to add anything to that, Charlie? You're good for the smart mirrors. Okay. I was all excited about them. Okay, let's talk about AR moving from the smartphone to the world around us with rumors that Apple is going to announce an AR headset. You know, right now, as Tom always says, the smartphone is acting as a monocle for us to experience augmented reality. So we're holding up our smartphone and looking through it to see AR experiences. But what about when that moves to heads-up displays and headsets and things like that. How is that going to change our experience, do you think? So that's already here. It's just on the B2B side. So Google Glasses didn't go away. They just moved to the back office so you wouldn't wear them to the bar and look like an asshole. So A glass hole. Yeah. It, but, you know, HoloLens is focusing on B2B solutions for that reason. It's like if you're going to put something stupid looking on your head, it better have a, an amazing utility to it. So... You know, Apple made the Bluetooth earbud cool. They're going to make glasses look like Isaacs. Apple is, is able to set trends and to change views on things because you had the one guy with the single black Bluetooth, and he was, he was a loser. Then you have the two people with the... I, I apologize here. If uh, uh, you get the two, and suddenly it's just normal, right? And they've just, they've just integrated it into their ecosystem. So, you know, through the grapevine, we've heard Apple is working on this, and Tim Cook is pretty into it. So they're going to try to make it cool. I, I hope it's not a flop. At the, at the end of the day, the biggest benefit to smart glasses of any capacity is definitely in the back end because it actually helps. It actually does solve problems in so many different use cases on the B2B side anyways. Yeah, for example, like Pickers and Amazon are already wearing the Vuzix heads-up displays so that they can better wayfind through warehouses when they're fulfilling orders be hands-free. I want to talk about the relationship between AR and AI, because we tend to think or talk about these things as separate, but they're really not. Matt, can you tell us about how AI plays into the avatars that you're creating? AR, I think, is a little bit easier to define, right? We, I think we all kind of know what AR is, but AI, people throw this around in very, it's a very loaded and very diffuse term. I mean, it really means when you're talking about intelligence, you're talking about dozens of different, really, subsets. There's, you know, speech synthesis, there's cognition, there's perception. And the same things sort of then apply to synthesized or, or computer-assisted versions of these things. We have, like, yeah, machine learning, speech synthesis, text-to-speech, image processing, all of these different little elements. So I think... What's becoming fairly colloquial is how we see AI, how everyday people interact with AI. So, for instance, at Quantum Capture, when we, we talk about conversational AI, and that's really kind of just three subsets of it. It's when you speak to the avatar, one of the pieces there is, okay, what I say has to be converted from my speech using some speech recognition into text. Then that has to be you know, sent somewhere, and then that has to be processed by a chatbot in the background, another element of AI so that a response is returned. And then that response 
then again has to be synthesized and sort of pushed through the avatar. So that's one touch point in our specific sort of AR type application for, for artificial <laughs> intelligence that doesn't even touch on you know, dozens and dozens of other major fields of AI. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know where I'm going with this, just to say that <laughs> the, I think there's, um, there's so much happening in AI right now. And I do want to put a little bit of a shout out to the Toronto AI scene with the Vector Institute, with some great startups that are, that are popping up here in all sorts of sectors. I was uh, actually speaking with, with a guy from Autodesk today, and they're doing lots of very interesting stuff in the AI field. And he was saying from the mothership, they kind of look at Toronto as this little country bumpkin outpost don't really recognize that Toronto's the shit when it comes to AI. Yeah. Like, it really is. So, yay, Toronto. Yeah, a hand for Toronto. All right. And I would say for AR as well, there's a lot happening here as well. When you were talking, Farina, about the wayfinding to find things in the aisles that are gluten-free, for example, there is a Toronto-based company, 3D Food and Drink, that is working on something similar, more for visualizing the calories and the ingredients and something that you're about to eat. But I'm sure it could just as easily be used for something like that. Matt, while you have the microphone, I want to ask because, you know, you're making these avatars, you're injecting them with AI. What are the ethical implications that you have to consider when doing that and also this applies to when we're thinking about augmented reality face filters you know a lot of what we're seeing in snapchat and instagram is for augmenting our appearance and usually it's for women to look like puppies or <laughs> the like so what do we have to consider and then when you're taking it even further and you're creating a being that looks like a human talks like a human walks like a human but is AI. Sure. Like I mean, so many, so many. I could talk, talk about this, honestly, for hours, the, the ethical conundrums that you know, we face on a daily basis. One of the big ones is, is definitely just even, and this applies to a lot, a lot of different AI fields, is the job loss that we're going to experience in the next five to ten years. I don't think anybody really is processing how, how major that's going to be. I mean, if you look at the transportation industry alone, which is the largest employer in the U.S. when you count logistics, taxi cabs, like everything to do with, with uh, transportation. And with autonomous vehicles, it's going to wipe out literally millions and millions of jobs. And we sort of look at it too that what we want to do with our avatars is really kind of enhance experiences rather than displace them. But job displacement is, is absolutely one of the ethical uh, issues that we're, we're facing right now. Completely different direction. One that I find a little bit more interesting is the fraud potential for identity theft. Yeah. I don't know if anybody saw uh, the Facebook research real-time avatar animation videos that came out this week. They were scary. They were scary, scary real. And basically, if somebody could ever hijack your avatar in virtual reality or in any, even in any kind of augmented reality space, we're talking about the ability to really impersonate you digitally very, very accurately, at least your, your appearance. And then there's a company out of Montreal called Liarbird that does really, really accurate voice synthesis it just takes inputs. I don't know if you've seen, there's, there's one video that they put out of, of Obama saying stuff that Obama would never say. And, you know, you combine these two technologies and you start to think about the state of uh, impersonating and, and fraud and literally identity theft. That's when you can be no happening. longer believe what you see, right? It's fascinating yeah. to me that the main technologies of our time right now, augmented and virtual reality, are coming to fruition at a time where we're talking about fake news and this, this uncertainty of what reality is. It's really interesting. I think we have to accept that it's headed there. There will always be people 
and entities who want to create that. And there will be at some point some powerful company or organization or whoever who will create that. And I guess we have to just sort of accept that at some point we have to be very skeptical of everything. When I saw the, the Obama thing, I was, it was mind-blowing, right? Because I thought it was witchcraft. And I knew it was fake. And it was, but I know that people are going to, people are fooled by way less. <laughs> so I guess as a society, we're just going to have to accept. It's, it's, it's not about saying, well, we have to make this illegal. There's people who will benefit from that, from fooling people by cre- using this technology in that way. And it won't, we can't just stop technology. So I, I guess it's a matter of accepting and having people understand how that this is a thing and, and to change their lens on society about what is real and what is not. Yeah, it's like any technology. It can be used for bad and it can be used for good. My brother is a a virtual reality filmmaker and he uses avatars all the time in the films that he's making so you can see how it could be used as a tool for expression and creativity. But who owns your avatar, right? Not to go too down the rabbit hole of the avatar conversation, who owns the right to your digital representation, I think is a question that'll come out of all of this. So we've talked about a little bit augmented reality for the back end of the retail experience. I don't know if we want to flesh out that conversation a little bit more before we take some questions from the audience. So we talked about picking, but we talked about it in a distribution center environment more to find the product. I think if you have been in a distribution center, the way that pallets are built, so the products are put together, and a lot of it just uh, the ones that are really good at building the pallets, so perfect cubes with heavy items at the bottom, light ones on top, do it through experience over and over, and they just kind of get into a habit. Versus if someone's new, they have to figure it out, the pallets are not built properly, products are damaged. So with AR, are you able to direct and visually tell the associates where to put the product? So that's one that I think needs to be developed. If it hasn't, we haven't found that yet. Then going back into a store environment, the product now needs to be put on the shelf. And we spend a lot of time, effort, money in figuring out which products need to be placed where, how many, etc. But between strategy and execution, there's always a gap. So if you can close that gap by providing some sort of AR where it shows the associate exactly where the products need to go. That's another one that would save in like lost sales, etc. Yeah, those are just yeah, that's exactly. Great. That's just a couple examples. Again, we have lots of problems, so I can share more. Sure. Do you want to talk about that at all? Walmart is also training their staff for Black Friday in virtual reality, which I think is freaking brilliant because you. <laughs> yeah, not 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 just the store associates. Yeah, fighting skills, but also like trucking. We have certain compliance uh, pieces that need to be met. And so this way we can provide even machinery training, make sure that our associates are at the standards that we expect. Very cool. Okay, before we take some questions from the audience, we're going to go down the line and just talk about our favorite augmented reality consumer experience. It can be something that you developed if you want to plug your own company. Matt, why don't we start with you since you have the mic? Oh, I didn't know we were allowed to pick our own. Oh, okay. you can, well, you can, you, can, you can plug two if one's your own and one's okay. someone else's. No, I, I, I mentioned before, I, th- I think the most exciting thing we're doing right now is a virtual car salesman, the virtual uh, sort of auto associate, because it's not really a salesman. It's not there to close the deal. It's just meant to have encyclopedic information about ev- every line item that's sold by the car company, as well as you know financing information, 
really think about the ultimate expert that can answer every question with a smile, but that's not looking for any commission. And we think that's kind of an, ex an exciting one that could be applied as a product specialist in all sorts of retail environments. Right, hospitality. Absolutely. Yeah. But my, my favorite non-quantum capture one is Lego. I think it's called the DLB. Okay, explain it for us. What so was it? So cool. It's, it's just sort of explodes and shows that then the finished Lego product when you're shopping in the that Lego store. That was on the store. box, right? That was on the box, yeah. yeah. You go in there and they're always building some of them. If you go into some of the Lego stores in the big malls, but you think about this for Lego, they can then have a way of showing every single completed one, every combination, everything like, and it's so cool and I love Lego, so... It was just a really special one for me. Good one. Farina? My answer isn't very exciting. I haven't found one. I've been thinking about it. Yeah, I haven't been wowed by anything yet. I think that if there's the value piece that an app is able to provide me that I'm going to go to the app store and download yet another app to sign up, it better do something amazing. My shopping habits, like with clothes or fairly normal and easy so I don't feel the need to download another app but the food one if there was a way to say okay these are my criteria find me what I want I would download that app so if you're can someone please food, yeah, build it if you're working already? on a food app for augmented reality go see Farina after the panel yeah, please speaking to the Lego example anything any sort of package and then seeing what the possibilities are from the package in an interesting way, is, is, is good utility, and it also uses the medium well. To plug our own shit a little bit, just because it's coming out soon, we are working on uh, a lot of cannabis retail, which is interesting because that's a whole different space with very specific and often changing regulations, and they're looking at ways they all want to have the Apple Store of cannabis. They all do. <laughs> Uh, and they're looking at ways to. I think I saw a video themselves. of your company, and you were showing people the bud in augmented reality. But then, of course, they want to smell it. So you had these. So we had smell a vision, and we're working on even better smell a vision because you can extract the terpenes. Well, smell is psychosomatic, uh, and it's great for marketing. And so, yeah, the idea there was uh, legally you can't show the buds, and so we could show them in AR. That's no problem. You, they can't smell the buds, but you can extract the terpenes, and they can smell the terpenes, and that's what makes the flavor profile anyways. It was literally like, see the bud in AR, and then this person will hand you a, a sniffer. <laughs> so super low-tech. We put it together in like a month, but it was cool. And then we are working on there are smart diffusers, so you could, in theory have an SDK and, and build your AR app and then select something and then have that thing just waft. Wow. <laughs> it sounds like Ready Player One. It just, it's very cool. Can we get some hands for questions? I'll just say while we're waiting for some questions, Maudie Face's augmented reality experience for... Oh, yeah. Maudie Face is great, by yeah, the way. Yeah, for Sephora, everything that they've done, I've loved. But the New York Times did a... David Bowie and AR article. It wasn't necessarily for retail, but definitely retailers who were selling clothes could get inspiration from it. And you could you could place a David Bowie mannequin in your living room and examine the costume in detail from every angle. And it was just it was it was so cool. That was my kind of light up AR moment. A lot of the stuff that the Times is doing with AR and VR is uh, fantastic. That was my conversation with Charles Byrne, the CEO of Patio Interactive, Farina Contractor, head of Walmart's innovation community, and Matt McPherson, the COO of Quantum Capture. 
Once again, this panel took place on Thursday, March 21st in Toronto as a part of All Night TO, a regular meetup for those working in and enthusiastic about augmented reality. We'll put links up to the meetup as well as to the various businesses and experts that you heard from on electricrunway.com. Thanks so much for spending time with us, and until next time, here's looking towards the future.